No, uh, I actually have the privilege of introducing a, a man that probably in, in a lot of your eyes is, your guys' eyes and, and minds probably doesn't need much introduction. Uh, you might be familiar with him. Uh, but one thing I did want to say is something that, you know, I've had the privilege of, of getting to know Ty over the last couple years, getting to see kind of, I don't know, a guy that, that has got, went from coaching and saw his heart kind of change where he still loves coaching, but he loves Jesus more than that. And, uh, and one thing that kind of stands out to me about Ty is that um, he's doing something that terrifies me. And what I mean by that is he's, he is preaching and ministering in his hometown. And, you know, the, the trick with that is some of you might be like, well, why, that, why is that hard? You feel like that would be easy. But people know Ty, and they knew Ty before he knew Jesus. And, and that can be one of the most difficult things to overcome sometimes, uh, not just in, in their eyes, but even in your own eyes, in your own heart. Even Jesus, you know, talks about struggling with ministry in his hometown. So that's something that I, that I love about Ty. I could share a whole bunch of other things that I love about Ty, but... But I ask that, man, as, as you kind of look at him, man, I hope that you see that same transformation that I've been, been, been able to see uh, over the last uh, couple years. So I'm going to let the kids, if you're kindergarten through fifth grade, come up, and I'll ask Ty to come up, and then, uh, yeah, he'll get started. Well, good morning, church. How are we doing this morning? Good. It's uh, good to be with you guys. I'm uh, thankful for the opportunity to come and kind of share in your service this morning. Pastor Ronnie, wherever you're at, thank you for letting me uh, come speak this morning. I've been given the task of un unpacking the topic of evangelism, which is the communication of the gospel, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So this is going to be fun this morning. Uh, not sure if you know of a guy named Ray Comfort. Ray Comfort is a guy who has a, a ministry out in California geared towards evangelism. And, and Ray Comfort once said that evangelism is as exciting as a root canal. <laughs> Evangelism is as exciting as a root canal. Some of you young people never had a root canal, right? but it's, it's tough. Uh, and this is a guy that, man, daily goes out on the streets, talks to people one-on-one -on -one about Jesus, shares the gospel, gets up on a platform and preaches on the streets, carries gospel tracts around, him, uh, around with him, which are basically pieces of paper with the gospel message on them, ready to hand out to people. In fact, uh, there's a story that goes one time, uh, one of his staff went to his house. They tried to catch him without a gospel track. He went to his house late at night, uh, knocked on the door. It was about midnight. Ray op opened the door in his pajamas, and the guy said, hey, I caught you without a gospel track. Ray said, no, you didn't. Pulled one out of his pajamas pocket. <laughs> Always has the gospel message on and ready to share. And he said, it's as exciting as a root canal. Uh, I don't know about you, but for me, I can, I can relate to that. When I share the gospel with people, I still get very nervous. I still get a little bit fearful of how they're going to respond or how they're going to react or what kind of questions they may ask. And yet, if Jesus is Lord of my life, if he is my king and my God, then I'm called to walk in obedience to him, right? And as we know, the last command, one of the last commands he's given his disciples, he's given to us, Matthew 28, go, make disciples, baptize them, teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And so I think we need to ask ourselves, man, how can we grow in this command. As uncomfortable as it might be, how can I step out in faith and begin to share the gospel with the people that are around me? Okay, so to kind of uh, kick off our sermon and kind of segue into this text, I want to do something. Uh, my pastor does this every once in a while, and I, I enjoy it. I'm not sure if you guys do it here, but in a second, I'm going to have you turn to your neighbor and answer a question. You're only going to have about 10 to 15 seconds, so it's going to go really quick. All right, so just find somebody close to you in 10 to 15 seconds. Do you know somebody in full-time ministry? 
It can't be Ronnie or Matt or Eric, nobody in this room. Do you know somebody in full-time ministry? And, or you can answer this question, what is full-time ministry? Okay, 10 to 15 seconds, turn to somebody close to you, answer that question, ready, go. And time. Okay, thank you. Uh, I'm kind of socially awkward, so anytime I get a chance to put people in an awkward position, it makes me feel like I'm not alone. So appreciate it. It's funny. Some of you guys were like talking to each other. You extroverts, some of the introverts were like kind of just staring in awkward silence. That's cool. Uh, just curious, how many people know somebody in full-time ministry? Raise your hand. Okay, so about a third, maybe half of the room. Here's the deal that I want all of us to understand. If you are a Christian in this room, you are in full-time ministry. Regardless of your daily role or your responsibility, the circumstance, environment that you find yourself in, you are in full-time ministry if you are a follower of Christ. That has to be our mindset. Okay, so here's my one big summary, my synopsis, if you will, of this sermon. It's that truly experiencing the love of Jesus, truly responding to the gospel, sets us loose as full-time ministers, sets us loose on that mission. Okay, so just think about that. Dwell on that as we dive into God's Word. I want you to open your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 14 through 21. And I honestly wrestled with this a little bit. Do I want to read the whole passage? Do I want to read just the last half? I think I settled on the, 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 the full passage because the first few verses give us a kind of a framework or a foundation of why we need to evangelize or why really we should have the desire to evangelize. Okay, and the last half is going to really dive into our topic of evangelism. Okay, so 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 through 21. If you got it, say, I got it. All right, most of you got it. All right, follow along with me. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sakes he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's a lot in there. Okay, and the one thing I was told this morning is to get three points. So I got three points for you. All right, and they're really simple because if I get any too complicated, my brain will start hurting. So three points. The first two are going to lay the foundation of the groundwork of why we should have the desire to evangelize. That third point is going to hit in our, in our uh, topic of evangelism. So the first one, God saves us. Paul makes it clear that God saves us. Right? He makes it clear right off the bat there is no such thing as a casual Christianity, Right? There's no such thing as me living a comfortable, safe life over here and then trying to sprinkle a little bit of Jesus on top. He says, man, one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You want a paradox? 
That's the sermon series you're in right now, right? Paradox. Paradox is right here. Paul says the only way to truly live is to die, to die to ourselves. And we respond to Jesus. We're saying, Jesus, have all of me. Not an hour on Sunday and Wednesday. Jesus, have all of me. Right? He says it's only by dying to ourselves that we can truly experience life. Think about the first disciples, Peter, James, and John. They were fishermen, right? Jesus comes up to them, up to the boat, says, hey, follow me. I'll uh, send you out to fish for men. He says they got up out of the boat, they left, and they followed him. Think about Levi, the tax collector. Jesus walks up to him, follow me. He says he got up out of his tax booth and followed him. He said, what we like to do sometimes, this was me in college. Jesus, I want to live for you, but I also want to live for the world. Jesus, let me take my tax booth with me. Let me take my, my fishing net and my fishing rod with me. I want, to, I want to follow you, but I want to hang on to my old life. Paul says, no. He died for us so that we die to ourselves and begin a new life with him. When I was in college, a couple of my teammates started a Bible study going into my senior year. And I'm so thankful for that time because they began to challenge us to, to memorize scripture I wasn't following Jesus. I wasn't truly following Jesus at the time, but it began to lay a a foundation of uh, having my mind permeated with the Word of God. And and the first scripture we memorized was Galatians 2.20, which is actually a scripture that Eric shared when he was kicking off this sermon series. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I no longer live Christ lives in me. That's what Paul is saying here. I'm no longer the God of my own life, essentially. I no longer follow after my passions and desires. But through the death and resurrection of Jesus, I now respond by living for him, right? This dead-to-life experience where God takes me from darkness to light, from from death to life, right? Our new life is lived in obedience to him, conformed to his desires for our life. So that's number one. God saves us. Number two, God changes us. Paul makes it clear that God changes us. I spoke at an event about a week and a half ago, and a high school girl got up and shared a devotional, one to two minutes tops. It really hit me. She said, so many people want their $3 worth of God. So many people want their $3 worth of God, meaning so many people want, God, bless my life, get me out of hell, God, but, but not enough God to actually change and transform my life. Again, that was me. But it's impossible, guys. It's impossible to truly encounter Jesus and remain the same, amen? It's impossible to truly encounter Jesus and remain the same because he begins to influence our thoughts, our feelings, and our actions. Look at verse 16 and 17. From now on, therefore, Paul says, we regard no one according to the flesh. In response to Jesus' death and resurrection, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. A new creation. I can no longer view people according to human standards when Jesus changes me. This was huge for me. Matt mentioned that when Jesus got a hold of my life three years ago, I was teaching and coaching. And I began to see that these people that I'm around every single day, my, my coworkers, my students, my players, I can no longer view them according to the flesh. I can no longer say I care for that person, but I don't really care for that person, which was hard. I, I taught a, a year of middle school. I'm not sure of any, any middle schoolers in this room, no offense, but there were some middle schoolers that made me question my sanity. 
But again, under the lens of the gospel, I began to see that, man, Jesus has changed me and saved me. He can do that for them as well. I began to see that these people that I'm around every day are image bearers of God. They're broken by sin. I need to love on them like Jesus, but I also need to look for opportunities to tell them about the hope that I have in Jesus. It is impossible to truly encounter Jesus and remain the same. It's impossible to view our sin the same. It's impossible to view God's word the same. It's impossible to view the world and the people around us the same when Jesus really gets a hold of our lives because he makes us into this new creation. Our thoughts, our feelings, and our actions are being transformed by him daily. All right, so the desire to evangelize starts from being saved by God and being changed by God. He gives me a new heart, which transforms my actions, and he renews my mind, which transforms the way I view other people. Outside of that, it doesn't really make sense to why we should evangelize. But if God has really saved my life, and I have a different outlook on the people that are around me, now it makes sense why I should have the desire to tell people about Jesus. So the foundation has been set, okay? The foundation has been set. Now we get into our main topic of evangelism. Point number three, God uses us. Told you it was going to be simple. God saves us. God changes us. God uses us. Verse 18 and 19, Paul says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Okay, church, let's remind ourselves of what evangelism is, the communication of the gospel the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus as payment for our sin. I say that because I heard a, a quote one time, and it gets tossed around in Christian circles every once in a while. It's, it's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, and I actually looked this up, and I don't think he really said it, but that's how the internet works, right? The name gets tagged on a quote, and it just gets tossed around. You might have heard it before. It goes like this. Preach Christ, and when necessary, use words. Preach Christ, and when necessary, use words. And look, I don't mean to offend anybody in here if that's like a quote that you really enjoy or a quote that you share sometimes. But that is honestly one of the dumbest things I think I've ever heard in my life. Preach Christ and when necessary, use words. To preach Christ, we need words. Evangelism is the communication of the gospel. Paul says that God has entrusted us with this message of reconciliation. Of course we want to be the light of the world, right? Right? Of course, we want to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. We want to live in a way that gives people a reason to ask us why we have the hope that we have. But we also have to open up our mouths to speak about Jesus. Our walk with Jesus is displayed in many ways. Kevin talked about uh, being the handiwork of God, Ephesians 2.10. That's displayed through loving our neighbor, through serving others, through volunteering at church, through caring for those in need, giving sacrificially of our time, our money, and our resources, right? All of those things are good. All of those things are part of being a witness for Jesus, and yet none of those things are evangelism. Many people often misunderstand this term. Okay, praying with your neighbor or telling somebody about how much God has blessed your life lately is not evangelism. Inviting a coworker or a friend to church is not evangelism. Those things are good, and we need to do them. That's part of being a witness but it's not evangelism. A pastor preaching in front of a thousand people might not be evangelizing while a college student meeting one-on-one with their friend might be doing evangelism. Why? Is the, communi- is, the, is the gospel being communicated? 
Is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus as payment for our sin being communicated? That college student might be sharing the message of Jesus with her friend, while that pastor preaching in front of a thousand people might be speaking on the power of prayer without even touching the gospel. So we need to be clear on what evangelism is so we can obey it. Sometimes we hear these biblical terms and we think, that's a pastor's job. That's Ronnie's job. That's Matt's job. That's, that's Eric's job. That's not what I do. They do evangelism, right? Many people think I'm not equipped or I don't know enough to tell somebody about Jesus. But, but, but church, we are all called to evangelize. Do we need a reminder that if we are following Jesus, if we have surrendered our lives to him, then we literally have the Holy Spirit in us? Like, like the same Holy Spirit that was in Peter, James, and John? The same Holy Spirit that rose Christ from the dead is in us? That God has given us the ability and the power to open up our mouths and speak about Jesus? Church, do you believe that? Do you believe that, that God has given you the power to make a disciple? To walk with somebody as they walk with Jesus. To open up your mouths and speak about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that has saved you and can save them as well. Do you believe that? God's word is clear that he has given us that power. I don't know about you, but it, it completely humbles me to read these verses. That Paul says, man, God, the author of life, the one who spoke creation into existence, actually gives me, he, he gives you, he gives us this message of reconciliation. He entrusts us with it. He says, man, I have saved you. I have redeemed you. I have pulled you out of darkness. Now I'm trusting you to take that message to a lost and dying world, a lost and dying community. That's not a burden. That's a gift, church. That's a gift. Because really as a Christian, what I'm proclaiming is that Jesus is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. I'm proclaiming that I was lost and now I'm found. I was in darkness and I've been brought to the light. I was dead, I've been brought back to life. I'm proclaiming that I've found the one cure to my fatal disease called sin. And if that's true, we gotta share that with other people. We need to share that with other people. And yet, you look at any church stats, for whatever reason, most professing Christians are not evangelizing. I even found a stat this week that said half of millennial Christians, people who profess to be Christian in the millennial category, which is around my age, half of millennial Christians think it's actually wrong to evangelize. Think it's actually wrong to share your faith with other people. Hey, Ronnie said it last week, we're called to be in the world but not of the world, right? John chapter 17, that was Jesus' prayer for us. The world will look at something like evangelism and scoff at the idea. We live in a society that says truth is objective, or subjective, right? Your truth can be your truth. My truth can be my truth. Truth can be whatever you want it to be. Society would look at evangelism and say, that's bigoted. That's hateful. That's unnecessary. Your faith is your own. Let the people have their own faith, right? But again, we're not of the world. Truth is objective, and the truth is that Jesus is king. He is on the throne both now and and forever, Philippians 2, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is what? Lord. People will bow to him as Lord on this side of life or they'll bow to him as judge on the other side of life. And so really, 
we have no other choice but to open up our mouths and speak if we have found this cure for this disease called sin. We must be obedient in sharing this message. And with that, we find an incredible truth, an incredible uh, truth, a promise that should bring us so much peace in here. It's that God alone takes care of the fruit. God alone takes care of the outcome. Paul says, God, through Christ, reconciled us to himself. He says again in verse 19, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. It's God who does the reconciling, not us, right? Scripture says that we were uh, dead in our sin and God made us alive. I have no power to raise the dead. Salvation is totally from God. So church, this is beautiful. This is beautiful because it tells us if we're being obedient to this command to evangelize, to tell people about Jesus, we can't lose. We can't lose, right? As I read this, this passage, man, I'm reminded of two teammates that I had in college. My junior year, two guys moved in from California, Nigel Malone and Bubba Chapman. And they were cornerbacks and I was a safety, so I was around them all the time. And they had this dance they did where they just kind of like moved their arms up and down like this. And we added a chant to it. We just say, win, 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 all the time. It looks stupid, but it might be a California thing. It had to be there. We'd do it all the time. And as I, as I think about those two guys, I'm reminded of a quote that somebody shared with me. He said, when we evangelize, when we share the gospel with somebody, there's only three possible outcomes. Win, win, and win. Scenario number one, we share the gospel with somebody, and they repent and they believe. They come to Christ. Hallelujah. All of heaven is rejoicing, right? Scenario number two, we share the gospel with somebody and they don't respond right away, but a seed is planted in them. That's what it was for me. Somebody shared the gospel with me in college. I didn't respond right away until three years ago. That is a win. Scenario number three, we share Jesus with somebody and they completely reject him. That is a win. How is that a win? Because we're being obedient to our Lord and Savior. And there's so much peace and so much joy that we get from just being obedient. So anytime you have an opportunity to evangelize, and they will come, I promise you, if you are praying for opportunities, they will come with a coworker, with a friend, with a family member, whatever. Think about Nigel Malone and, and Bubba Chapman. Do your dance, because it's about to be a win. To close out this passage, Paul says in verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ God makes his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Paul says we're ambassadors. What's an ambassador? It's a, it's a messenger. It's a trusted representative that goes into a foreign land on behalf of their king or their ruler. They're not there on their own agenda. They're not there with their own opinions or their own message. They're there under the direct authority of their king. This is such a beautiful representation of us as Christ's followers. Such a beautiful picture of what it means to evangelize. Let me ask you a question. Are we in a foreign land right now? I mean, we're in Junction City, Kansas, I know that, but are we in a foreign land right now as Christians? Absolutely we are. Absolutely. Jesus said in John 15, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Again, in the world, but not of the world, as Ronnie said last week. Philippians 3, Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Scripture is clear. And when we respond to Jesus, this earth is no longer our home. We're temporary residents, longing for the day to be with our king in his return. But until that time, we are surrounded by lost people who don't know the one true living God. And God entrusts us as ambassadors to take this message, his message, to them. 
That message that we're carrying is found in verse 21. For our sakes he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let me just say this. If the thought of evangelizing somebody makes you nervous or fearful, that's totally okay. That's normal. I feel it all the time. Again, evangelism is as exciting as a root canal. But if you have no desire to share Jesus with somebody, no desire to reach a lost and dying world, then I would implore you to go back and ask yourself, have you been saved by God and have you been changed by God? I would implore you to to meditate on this verse right here and right now. For our sakes, he made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the, the beautiful, incredible gospel message that we're entrusted with taking to people, that we've sinned against a holy and righteous God, that we deserve his wrath, and yet in his abundant mercy, God the Son took on flesh, lived the life that we couldn't live, died the death that we deserve, became sin for us, and then rose again from the grave three days later so that in him we might become the righteousness that God requires. Through repentance and faith, we can receive forgiveness of sin, we can walk in newness of life, and we can look forward to be, to that day we get to be with our King and our God. Church, that is the most beautiful message that any of us could ever hear. And that is the message that we've been entrusted with taking to other people. That's why I said in the beginning, if you're in this room and you're a Christian, you're in full-time ministry. If you're a teacher or a banker, social worker, police officer, stay-at-home parent, retired, college student, high school student, doesn't matter. Your main priority can't be the things of the world. Your main priority has to be, man, how can I advance the gospel and the people that I'm around? Some people have the ability to communicate better than others. Some people have more opportunities or a bigger platform than others. But all of us, all of us in this room that are Christians, regardless if I have many opportunities or few, a big platform or a small platform, all of us, I think, need to continually ask ourselves these type of questions. Who is in my sphere of influence? Who is God giving me favor with right now? Who in my life might be open to hearing the message about Jesus? How can I use my platform, my gifts, and my resources to advance the gospel? That is our mission as a Christ follower. One of my favorite uh, Christian rappers is KB. Not sure if anybody listens to the rap genre, but Google him, KB. He said this not too long ago. No matter big or small stages, if we are influencing people for Jesus, we are doing more than we could ever imagine. That is what it means to live accomplished, helping people to meet the one who has accomplished it all. Guys, that is the end goal of evangelism, helping people to meet the one who has accomplished it all, no matter big or small stages. So man, whether I'm meeting with a friend for coffee, telling her about this message of Jesus that has saved me and can save her as well, or I'm preaching in front of hundreds, or I'm a stay-at-home parent telling my children about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, or I'm on the streets passing out gospel tracts to people I don't even know, I am living an accomplished life when I'm pointing people to Jesus, when I spend my life living for him and building his kingdom. That is our purpose. That is our purpose. And as I close today, let me just, let me just say this. We need to keep in mind this, this one truth of Scripture, that God is accomplishing his mission. He's accomplishing his mission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. 
He's using broken people to do it. He's using you and I to do it, but he really, really doesn't need to. Think about Luke chapter 19, when Jesus comes into Jerusalem for the final time, right before his death. And people are spreading out cloaks on the road saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And the Pharisees look at him and say, Jesus, make him stop. Make him stop. Jesus said, man, the rocks will cry out if the people don't. The rocks will cry out. God can use rocks to do our job for us. He doesn't need us. But church, how beautiful is it that the God of creation would see us in our sin, save us in our sin, live in us through the power of the Holy Spirit, and then use us to take this gospel message to people who need to hear it. We can take part in that mission. As I said in the beginning, I truly believe that really, really experiencing the love of Jesus, truly responding to the gospel, sets us loose on that full-time mission. Let me pray. Father, you are good all the time. You are King of kings and the Lord of lords. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Thank you, God, for this message of reconciliation that while we were dead in our sin, you made us alive in Christ. I just pray for your spirit to be on this church, on us, God, as we embark on a quest to evangelize. Let us step outside of our comfort zone. Father, take this gospel message that has saved us and can save them as well, trusting that you will take care of the outcome and the fruit. We love you. We praise you. May it be all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.